0: How many frozen, chosen, dyed-in-the-blue, dyed-in-the-wool Presbyterians do we have in the room? Any? Got a few? Alright, here's the question. What is the chief end, and forgive the anachronism, of man? To glorify God, man's chief end, this would be the official version, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Elder DeGraff, where does that come from? The Westminster Confession and the Westminster Catechism, more importantly. For years and years and years and years, the Westminster Confessions and the Westminster Catechism, the shorter and the longer, were the central piece of teaching for Presbyterians. If you were a Presbyterian, if you were raised in a Presbyterian church, and you came to the time of confirmation, you were going to memorize large swaths of the Westminster Catechism. What is a catechism, is the next question. Does anybody know? What? What? But it is a statement of faith. It takes statements of faith, and it puts it into a question-and-answer format, generally. Question-and-answer format. So so again, what is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is. Question-and-answer format. Oftentimes, it goes through basic doctrine of the faith. It goes through things like the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments. And it's basically a way for you and I to learn the doctrine of the faith, or the basic tenets of the faith. This goes back to very early Christianity. And there was a document, apparently, that circulated, and I don't want you to think about a document like, you know, a white paper, as we might call them today. This was not something that they pulled up on their computer sent in an email to everybody in the world. You know, this is probably, you know, written somewhere on parchment at at this time, and perhaps a few people had it, but then it verbally became part of the the teaching, but it was called the Didache. What What does that sound like? The Didache. It's, It's about teaching, and it's called the teaching of the Twelve Apostles. And the Didache has, in the first section, well, I just love this, the first section is called The Two Ways. The Two Ways. And this is really about, the, the DDK has sort of some doctrine, but it also has like how to live, but it has the two ways. Anybody have any idea what the two ways might be? They're big. There's the way of death, and there's the way of life. So we're not messing around here with, you know, just some lighthearted doctrine. This is like, here's what it is for people who follow Jesus. There's a way of life and there's a way of death. So we Christians come by this doctrine thing pretty honestly. Even though I, I, you will hear me preach and you will hear me say all the time that in the beginning of Christianity, of people following Jesus, it was a way of being. It was a way of living, and that the doctrine comes later. Jesus doesn't leave behind any writings that we know of, of his own. He leaves behind these teachings, and he really doesn't leave behind any any sort of systematic doctrine. Now, we might talk about the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with Matthew chapter 5, through a bunch of chapters, it's a great place to start if you want to know the content of Jesus' teaching. But he doesn't leave behind any doctrine. But for whatever reason, I think because we come out of Judaism, Jesus was a Jewish male, he was a teacher of the faith, a rabbi. Think about that. They had teachers, not just priests. Like Lots of religions have priests. They do the sacrifices, they do the incantations, they confect the mass. We still do this today, right? But in Judaism, you had, you had scribes, people who kept things down, you had teachers of the law, you had rabbis, you had, it was very important in the Jewish faith that people learned the faith in a particular way. Learned who God was, what it was about, how to be a faithful Jewish person, a lot about how to live your life. So we come by this honestly, and I think really that for us as christians then we double down on doctrine like if you're a buddhist or if you if you engage with buddhism especially in the west today generally what you don't do is you don't go to a class where they teach you about buddhism they don't they don't necessarily teach you about the pillars they don't teach you about they might teach you who buddha was that sort of thing but what they do is they say here is a cushion sit in this way and breathe. We're going to do that for a few hours. Good luck. Then we'll talk about what comes up. It's very much a way of teaching a practice first, then the content in a sense comes later. Now I'm being very, you know, just scratching the surface, so please don't, that's not the whole thing of Buddhism or any religion. I don't want to make it out that way. I'm trying to draw some some parallels here in an easy way. But for for Christians, though, we, we sort of doubled down on doctrine because we, we doubled down on belief, that, that somehow the things that we believe became very important to us. And I would argue that at different times, especially after Constantine made Christianity the law of the land and the religion of the land, that checking off the beliefs in your head became much more important than how you actually lived, the head-heart divide started to push apart. And then you have the Protestant Reformation. We just went through a whole bunch of history right there. You have Martin Luther sees issues in the Roman Catholic Church of, of whom he was a teacher and a monk. And he wants to reform the Roman Catholic Church. And it's, a, it's around doctrine. It's around what is really true and, and the practices that come out of that doctrine. And so as the Protestant Reformation gets rolling, it really is about, we're going to clarify what we believe. And we are going to make that incredibly clear. That's why we get these things called these confessions. The Westminster Confession. The Helvetic Confession. The blah, blah, blah Confession. We've got... A bunch of them. We have now a book of confessions in the Presbyterian Church USA. It's about that thick. It's awesome. But it's a lot. And in some ways, we we got so focused on doctrine, in my opinion, that we, in some ways, lost we made it easy to say well, I believe all this stuff. That means I'm good. And what I need to do is I just need to get, I need to get Christy to believe those same things and then that makes me even even gooder. Right? Or I can, I believe these things and so I'm so, I'm good. I don't need to tell anybody else. And I don't need to necessarily, I'm going to try to, I'm going to live my life according to these principles, maybe, but I'm not going to tell anybody about it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say why I do that. I'm just going to have this in the background. That's why Presbyterians often get called the frozen chosen because we're super quiet. And I would argue super judgmental about other Christians because, you know, we've got our doctrine figured out. We do it right. We're super smart. I mean, we require a lot of education to become a Presbyterian minister. I mean, it's still a master's degree, it's it's years of study, it's you know, it is what it is. And we believe in that because we believe God gave us a mind to discern things. And today things are changing. Again, if you would please out yourselves as lifelong Presbyterians again, or those who, who are primarily raised in, in the church again, would you raise, raise your hand? I'm not one of them. I'm going to raise my hand though. So look, there's just there's just a few of you, right, in this Presbyterian church. So I, I mean, I know we've got some recovering Catholics. Yeah, we got some. Yeah, there you are. I see you. I see that hand. I'm I'm guessing we got some. You know, well, we got some bad Baptists. Yeah, here we are. Hello, I I see that hand. See that hand. Uh huh. We've got some tardy Methodists. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Yeah, I mean, we've got, we probably have some people who are like, eh. Right? Never really was raised in a faith or tangentially or whatever, right? So. So, as the pastor of the church, as the, as the, as I'm supposed to be the teaching elder, the primary teacher, I, I've been, I've been concerned a little bit about over my 18, 19 years here that, that one of the things that I have not done a very good job of is, in a sense, sort of helping you, helping us deal with the doctrine. Because the doctrine can be really off putting, to be honest with you. Because sometimes it feels very archaic. Even this that we're going to use, this is not a product of our denomination. This is a product of, another, of a different group of people. It's called the New City Catechism. I like it because it has 52 questions and answers. 52 means how many weeks? One year. It really works nicely for a sermon sort of series thing. Pastors like these kind of things. I think that's why they did it. But I will tell you, and I encourage you, if you want to get a copy of this, we put a link in the email. There's also an app which is free. So you can have the whole content of this, the devotional piece of it, the whole thing free on your phone. So you can do that once a week, read through it, whatever, let it challenge you or every day read through it, that same one for the week and read through it. But I will tell you, there are no women writers in this book. There are some people of color, there's people from different countries and that sort of thing. But it's, some of it's because they use a lot of, of older theologians and Again, well, I don't need to go into all that. Just tell you that advisedly. I'm going to be doing what I can to bring in maybe some other voices and other things into into some of this. But just know that that this comes from a particular perspective, and it may be a little. It's going to be different than maybe what you, you may go. I don't believe that. Let it challenge you. Let it. Let your mind move in questions and, and ask yourself, how am I seeking God through this? What do I think about this question? What do I think the answer is? Right? And so I want you to know this before I get into, because we have, this is, as, as this comedian I was watching last night, this is all prelude, people. I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not even to the main event yet. When Jesus was asked this question, I want to hear you say the answer if you know it. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is not a doctrine. It's everything. Because we believe that God is love. So I'm going to remind us of that every, every time I preach. Because love is not this ooey-gooey soft thing that we make it out to be in the rom-coms. Right? It is, it is hard nosed, hard edged. If you really love someone or love something or love a community, it will be the most heartbreaking, beautiful thing that you will ever do. Loving God is the same way. It's not an easy path, especially in the Christian faith, because as we'll see today, it comes right in the face of our culture and the things that we are taught from day one that are important in our culture. Love is not a doctrine, it's everything. So here's the first question. Easy one, right? Easy one. What is our only hope in life and death? Easy question. Here's the answer. That we are not our own, but belong body and soul both in life and death to God and to our savior Jesus and I'll put this in there the Christ I will use that more often than not Jesus Christ people get confused cuz they think Christ is Jesus' last name It's a title he's the anointed one he's the Messiah the Christ so I will often say Jesus the Christ in prayers like that just to get us thinking about it in a in a better way that we don't don't use that shorthand of oh well, it's Mr. and Mrs. Christ had Jesus, and anyway, I mean, as a kid, it's super confusing, I think. As an adult, it's even more confusing sometimes. So, that we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. The Romans passage that I read is a good biblical background for that, right? For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself, Again, they're using a different version of the Bible, which is not inclusive. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. John Calvin, and this is, I'm pulling from this document. So as you go through these devotions, you can see John Calvin, really the the sort of the father of the Reformed faith in terms of where it goes with Presbyterians. Let me back this up. Presbyterians comes from a Greek word, presbyteros, which means elders. We we believe that elders leave the church. That's why I'm often called a teaching elder. That's why the the other elders that are elected and ordained to serve on our session are called ruling elders. Presbyteros, Presbyterian. It's it's the way we govern the church. We We are part of the Reformed theology family. John Calvin Writes this, we are not our own. Let us therefore not set it as our goal to seek what is expedient for us. Huh. Seems kind of un American. (laughs) Almost. I I joke. Let us not set it as our goal to seek what is expedient for us. We are God's. Let us all the parts accordingly strive toward God as our only lawful goal. For as consulting our self-interest, I love John Calvin in this way, is the pestilence that most effectively leads to our destruction. Way of life, way of death, all the way back to the DDK almost. For as consulting our self-interest is the pestilence that must effectively leads to our destruction. Tim Keller, who's one of the editors of this, a pretty famous Presbyterian pastor in the the country, the basic principle then is this, that we are not to live to please ourselves. That's not what Burger King says. They say, I get it my way. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe this, maybe this following Jesus stuff and the way that we begin to understand it doctrinally, maybe it's a little more challenging than what we have been led to believe. And there are definitely, definitely ways of preaching and teaching in our country and in our world today that would lead you to believe that following Jesus is about getting all of your needs met. It's about getting your wildest dreams to come true. If you just pray hard enough, and you know, if, if you'll just send me $100, I'm, it's going to come back to you a hundredfold. I just know it will. I'll even send you a prayer shawl about 63 emails a day asking you for another dollar so that I can, you know, it'll come back to you tenfold and, you know, all, all this sort of thing. We call that prosperity gospel, just so you know. But but anyway, there are ways of doing it that, has, that where we've twisted the Christian faith, and so our Reformed understanding of this is very, it is, it looks at our ego, it looks, at, it looks at our mind, it looks at our brokenness very seriously and takes it very seriously. It really believes that we are almost not to be trusted with ourselves. And that when we trust in Christ and we begin to have this new life, we can do greater things than even Christ can do. So let this challenge you. We are, Tim Keller again, we are not to determine for ourselves what is right or wrong, but rely wholly on God's word. Stop putting ourselves first. Put what pleases God and what loves our neighbor first. Why? Because we are saved by grace. Because we are saved by grace. Now, I'll just tell you when he says, yeah, but rely wholly on God's word. Like, you know, read the Bible lately? There's, there's not much in there about what investments I should make in the stock market. There's not much in there about what school I should send my kids to. Rely wholly on God's word. I, I mean, I, I love our Reformed theology and our Reformed way of focusing on God's word as in some ways, and Jesus as God's word, the living word of God, as the beginning and end of things. And I believe that we have to have, this is a good reform thought, we have to have a community to be able to discern the right and wrong. We have to have a community to discern what is right and wrong. Because I'll, I'll be really honest, I can read the Bible and I can discern and I can come up with things that are not helpful to other people, even as we might Martin Luther would say, even at our best. So, so I want this to challenge you. What is our only hope? in life and death, that we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus the Christ, because he has saved us by grace through his love. And love is not a doctrine. It's the only thing. And so, we're just getting started. We got 51 more weeks. I'm super excited for this, and I hope this challenges you. I hope we get some discussions going about the New City Catechism. I hope this drives you back into God's Word. I I hope that it challenges you in a way that opens you up to considering, what is it that that I believe? Because we are a community, this community of Westminster, we are a community that believes that believes that God has brought us together, not because we have the absolute right doctrine. We are together because Jesus brought us together to be on a path of seeking how to love and to serve God and our neighbor and ourselves all together in love. May this teaching bless you and challenge you, and may it bring you closer to Jesus our Christ. Amen.